Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. As you listen to God's word today, may it become for you fresh water for your thirsty soul, give you hope to cope, and wisdom to thrive, excel, and become everything God says you are. God bless you as you listen to today's sermon. So the first thing I want to say before we get into the scripture is that I want you to know beyond every reasonable doubt, beyond every reasonable doubt, that God loves you very much. Amen. And because he loves you so much, every instruction of God is purely for your benefit. Amen. Every instruction of God is because he cares about you and he wants the best for you. It's important to establish that. Amen. It's important that you believe that, that you know that, that you are convinced of that. Because if you are not convinced of how much he loves you, the extent he will go for you, there will be times when you will question his intentions. And downright maybe even just choose to rebel. So let's pray. Father, we pray this morning and we pray that as your word comes, speak to us and help us receive your word. Help us understand your intentions. Help us know that you would always want better for us than we can ever want for ourselves. That we have no dream or desire that is greater and superior to your dreams and desires for us. We thank you. Sweet Holy Spirit, have your way. And bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we conclude our series on, on family and marriage, which was for the month of August. And I want to begin with a story that hit the world in 1996. The first black president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela, went to court to divorce his wife of 38 years, Winnie Mandela. And when he stood in that courtroom, he said, if the entire universe persuaded me to reconcile with the defendant, I will not. I am determined to get rid of the marriage. And then the writer asked, Mr. Mandela told how his wife accomplished in two years what 27 years in prison failed to achieve. She made him feel humiliated and lonely. Now, the reason why this story is important is that it wasn't the wife who put him in prison for 27 years. It was the South African government, the apartheid government. They were the reason why for 27 years a woman did not have her husband by her side. And then when he came out of prison, when he was in prison, he heard stories that she was having an affair or a series of affairs. And then he comes to court two years after he was out of prison. And he said, if the, if the entire universe persuaded me to reconcile with the defendant, I will not. Now, when we think of Nelson Mandela, we think of the man who created a rainbow nation. The man who said, black and white can work together, we can live together, let's all be one. 
He was such a symbol of reconciliation. And yet, when he filed for divorce, he said, I'm divorcing her for irreconcilable differences. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to look at marriage and family in light of Scripture that was actually designed for how we should treat our enemies. Because on that day in 1996, when Nelson Mandela stood in that court, winning was to him the worst enemy he had ever had. He was willing to do to her what he was not willing to do to the apartheid system. Luke chapter 6 begins with Jesus talking about the Sabbath, establishing that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And I think a lot of people remember Luke chapter 6 for the Beatitudes. It's a, it's a talk on how we should be, the attitude we should have as Christians. So, in verse 20, what is interesting, let's really establish this. This is extremely important to understand. The Beatitudes, or the, the lessons in Luke chapter 6, were not meant for the general public. In fact, they were not even meant for the 72 that followed him. This message was meant for the closest of his disciples, the people, the 12 he had handpicked. In chapter 5, we see him pick the 12 disciples. And this message was specifically for them. And he qualifies it. So verse 20 begins, and always reading from the New Living Translation, it says, Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you'll be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. So the sermon or the teaching was specifically for his disciples. And then in verse 27, which is where we're going to focus on, love for enemies. Jesus begins getting into this session of his teaching with the words, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, amen. So it's important that as we get into these very hard words of Jesus, that these words were not meant for everybody. These words in Luke chapter 6 from verse 27 were meant specifically for his disciples. But even among the disciples, it was meant for the disciples who are willing to listen. Amen. So he says, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. 
You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Amen. These are words Jesus decided to speak, not to everybody. Not to all the people who followed him. But just to his 12. And even to the 12, he said, these words are for those of you who are willing to listen. Amen. When Nelson Mandela in 1996 stood in that courtroom and said, if the entire universe persuaded me to reconcile with the defendant, I will not. I am determined to get rid of the marriage and went ahead and divorced his wife of 38 years. She was to him in that moment an enemy. And as we are rounding up on marriage and family, it's interesting that the scripture the Holy Spirit will lay on my heart to share today are words that were meant for the Christian who has to deal with enemies. And sometimes, as the English poet said, as high as we have mounted in delight, in dejection do we sink as low. Sometimes the, the people who break our heart the most, in fact, the people who actually can break our heart are the people we, we have loved the most. And in that moment where they switch from lover to enemy, they can be the worst kind of enemy we will have. The challenge in marriage is that marriage is beyond feelings. Marriage is a covenant. If you think of a covenant, think of a contract, a legally binding contract. But beyond it being a legally binding con contract, there's a contract that God has also endorsed. So unlike a typical contract that may involve two parties, this one involves three. And you have God sitting at the top of that pyramid and saying that everything in this marriage has to be about me. So even when it feels like an enemy, we come to these words. And he says, I say, love your enemies. Love the person who has broken your trust the most. Love them. Love here is a verb. It's not some wishy-washy feeling. It's intentional decisions to look out for their best interest. Even though at that moment, they are your enemy. So do good to those who hate you. Those who hate you. When you become aware somebody hates you, it means they've, it's gone beyond how they feel about you. It's now at the point where they've intentionally taken steps to make sure that you are destroyed. They've undermined your trust. They've betrayed you. They've stabbed you in the back. They wish you were dead. It says, do good. Do good. When you're at that place in your life where the people who should be the ones who protect you are the ones hounding you, it says, still do good to them. And he says, bless those who curse you. Bless them. Those who curse you. To curse somebody, you have to open up your mouth. And anytime they open up their mouth about you, they have nothing positive to say. In fact, when people hear them talk about you, it is hard for them to believe that this was somebody <laughs> that you once loved so dearly and probably still love. In fact, the word curse goes beyond certain words people use to sometimes the invocation of spirits. In Ghana, they might take an egg 
and crash it and invoke whatever. There's another one where a few years ago there was a video of a Ghanaian musician basically rubbing her, her nakedness on the floor and invoking some curses. Apparently, that's how some people curse. She says, don't do that. Bless those who curse you. Now, what is the meaning of the word bless? It's not just verbal. The word bless means to help someone or somebody to maximize their full potential. So in the garden, when God created everything, the Bible says, and he blessed them. So that the rose can multiply, so you have more roses. So that a seed can contain a forest. That is to bless. Can you bless the one who curses you? intentionally take decisions, help them with their projects and their proposals and their initiatives, even things they should be doing that they've been, you know. And, and you know, they go out there and make the world believe you are the worst thing that happened to them and still intentionally help them maximize their full potential. You are not the one who sabotages them. You are the one who helps them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. You know, you can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm hurt. This person has hurt me deeply. But I want you to bless them. I pray that you help them. And help me help them. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek offer the other cheek also. Now, many people see this and they think of physical violence. Jesus is not endorsing violence at all. In Jewish society, one of the ways of establishing hierarchy to humiliate somebody and put them in their place was to slap them on the cheek, especially with a backhand slap. It's the way of telling somebody you are nobody and you mean nothing. Who do you think you are? You are nobody. In Ghana, it would be like somebody spitting on you. Jesus never meant allow your husband or your wife to beat you and beat you and beat you, turn the other cheek that way. No, that's not what he was saying. He was saying when people intentionally go out to humiliate you, leave them alone. Remember that in Luke, in John chapter 18, but also in the Luke's account is there, when Jesus was arrested and was taken before the high priest, the high priest started asking him some questions. And one of his servants didn't like the, the responses Jesus was giving. And the Bible says, the servant slapped Jesus on the cheek. This is John chapter 18, verse 22 and 23. Jesus didn't literally turn his other cheek for the guy to slap. So if that was what he meant by this, then Jesus didn't obey his own words. To slap on the cheek was to humiliate. It's okay if a stranger tries humiliating you, but when you're confident, when the person who you've shared your most vulnerable parts with, your most vulnerable, your most sensitive stories with, in the time of disagreement, decides to use your words, your, your, your secrets, your insecurities against you. That is a slap on the cheek. 
And Jesus says, when that happens to you, don't fight back. Don't fight back. Allow them. Allow them to go ahead and humiliate you. And then the next one, he says, if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Today it's hard to understand some of these texts because our cultures and contexts are so different. But back then, you could actually identify somebody coming a mile away from the clothes you're wearing because that's all they had. That's all they had. So in a system where if you borrowed and you couldn't pay, first they'll come for your land. And then they'll come for your cattle. And then they'll come for your sheep. And then they'll come for your house. After your debtor has collected everything, everything you have, the final thing they will do is to collect your coat or your cloak. And Jesus was saying, if you find yourself in that situation where somebody is intent on reducing you to nothing, give them your undergarment also. Let's go to Exodus chapter 22 from verse 25. Now this is so, I'm reading from the New Living Translation and you see the conditions under which somebody may demand your coat or your cloak. He says, if you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as the money lender would. So this is about money and lending. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful. Amen. So now that context, what Jesus is saying makes more sense, doesn't it? They want to make sure that you are, you've become nothing. They will take everything from you in this divorce. They will make sure that you become homeless on the streets of Accra. Jesus says, don't worry. Let them see your whole nakedness. If somebody is willing to go to that extent to hurt you, give them everything, even if it means you have to walk around naked. Go ahead and do it. But what is interesting from what we just read is that in Jewish society, if you strip somebody off to the point where they become naked, you invoke the anger of the society because you have humiliated a person to, the le to levels that are not acceptable. So these are the things Jesus is saying here. He says, if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. They are asking to take these things because you owe them. Life is difficult. You feel that you are, you are their mercy. And then he goes on, you know, so love them, do good to them. You can't only do good to people who do good to you. That's not how it works. And then in verse 37, he says, do not judge others and you'll not be judged. <laughs> he says, forgive others and you'll be forgiven. Give and you'll receive. 
Now, many times, oh, and as a preacher, I know this well. Many times when we come to this scripture, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, shaking together to make room for more. You know, I can quote it in the King James verbatim. We love it. But he wasn't talking about money at all. He was saying that give that which you want to receive in the relationships of your lives. If you want to receive kindness, give kindness. If you want to receive affection, give affection. If you want to receive love, give love. If you want to receive compassion, give compassion. Whatever you give will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Amen. Don't give harsh words. They'll come back to you. They'll come back to you. Verse 42. Let's start from 41. It says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye? It doesn't matter how good your eyesight is. Can you see a speck from a distance? Can you see a speck from a distance? No, speak to me. Can you see a speck from a distance? No. So he says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye? You're worried about, you know. But this person considers you a friend. They consider you a lover. Somebody they probably have chosen to marry. So you are close to them. That's why you can see the speck. First and foremost, the fact that you are that close to somebody is something worth celebrating. You are a friend who is close. But you're spending all your time worrying about the speck in the person's eye. The intimacy you share, the, the fellowship you share, the experiences, there is so much else to be grateful for, but you're obsessed with a speck in their eye. He says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye? When you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eyes. And this is a rebuke to all of us. That in the moment where we are so obsessed with somebody else's faults, we become hypocrites. Because we are not perfect either. We are not perfect Either. They may have done a million things wrong, but God's standard is so high that if all you did was one thing wrong, it's still a big deal. Hypocrisy is a common sin, especially among preachers. Because I stand here and preach this and you think my marriage is awesome and everything is... It's not. These words are as challenging for me as they are for you. And isn't it interesting that these words were actually meant for those who hate, and yet if many of us will consider the practicality of trying to apply these principles and these instructions in our marriage, we are already struggling. We struggle to apply these things, like to only bless them and not curse them back. What happened to my guardians that I cannot curse them back? Where? 
<laughs> says, bless them. <laughs> bless them. But why would he give us all these instructions? Why? 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 Why are you making things difficult for us? So quickly, let's go back to the Beatitudes themselves. Verse 20, then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God blesses you who are, who, who are in this place where all you want to do is to have more of me. All you want to do is to please me. All you want to do is to serve me. All you want to do is to get to know me. And, and you are willing to do everything like, like a poor person, somebody who is truly poor, would do any job. When you're truly, truly poor, any job is good enough. So yeah, well, to those of you who are that desperate for me, the kingdom of God is yours. Amen. So there's a reward for obedience to these instructions. It says if you can commit to obeying them, the kingdom of God is yours. It says God blesses you who are hungry now. If you're hungry, if you're looking for better for your marriage, better for yourself, better for your relationship, better for your relationship with your children, better, you're looking for better relationship with God, it says, yes, that hunger is good, for you will be satisfied. Amen. It's a promise. You will be satisfied. If you're not satisfied with the state of your marriage, with the state of affairs, and you're willing to let Jesus help you work through it, you will be satisfied. Amen. It is a promise. You will be satisfied. It will come at a price, yes, but you will be satisfied. And the final blessing, he says, God blesses you who weep now. It's okay to weep sometimes. Since if you weep now, if you're heartbroken now, but because you've chosen to follow me, you've chosen to bring your tears to my feet, remember that in due time, you will laugh. Hallelujah. Amen. You will laugh in due time. You may not laugh now. The laughter you, you may show us now is face deep. You know, it's, it's for Photoshop. It's for pictures. You know, <laughs> you're stepping out in public, so let's, <laughs> let, let's do it for the cameras. It's okay. And maybe you are weeping in secret, but if you are weeping to the Lord and you're saying, Lord, I want your will to be done in my home. I want your will to be done in my family. In due time, you will laugh from the depths of your belly. Amen. You will laugh fully. Amen. This is his promise. So as hard as these words may, and that's why Jesus probably didn't tell everybody. He told his disciples only, and even among the disciples, he said, I'm saying these words to those who are willing to listen. If you are willing to listen, as hard as these words may sound, the kingdom of God will be yours. If you are willing to listen and apply these words, you will be satisfied. If you are willing to listen to these words and apply them in every aspect of your life, even when it's difficult, in due time, you will laugh. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. We don't want to be just hearers of your word. We need to be doers. And on something this sensitive, we pray for the grace to do. Grace to love those who hurt us the most. To bless them. To pray for them. To look out for their best interest. 
Jesus, this only you can help us with. We cannot do this with our minds, nor with our strength. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our help, our helper. We pray for your help in this matter. May the desires of our heart, may our choices and inclinations align with your will until we are fully that servant who is, who is poor in spirit, who weeps for you, whose only desire is to make choices that please you, even towards those who have hurt us the most. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If it blessed you, share it with a friend. For more information on how to fellowship with Accra Community Church, visit our website, www.accrachurch.org. God bless you.